All right, Avalanche fans, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever and wherever you may be listening, and thank you for joining the Locked On Avalanche podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host, Chris Maselli, with another episode of the podcast dedicated to your Colorado Avalanche, and today is Tuesday, March 10th, and because the way the games are played, we're kind of a game behind in terms of what we're going to cover today. Uh, being on the East Coast and when the Avs do their as far west as possible coast trips, uh, it's not fun. And the, the game against the Sharks being a 10 p.m. Eastern game, uh, you know, if it was a weekend game, I can stay up for that and, and no problem. But when uh, yeah, I have two little kids uh, on top of, you know, get, having, get, having to get up for – uh, work around 5.30 in the morning anyway, uh, it makes it a little difficult. So what did the NHL do? They said, oh, that's no problem. We'll just schedule the next game at 10.30 on the East Coast time to make your life even more miserable. So uh, in terms of what we're covering as far as current games, like I said, we're a game behind. We're going to talk about the Sharks game. And then tomorrow we'll talk about the Kings game, which you will know the final score of that as you're listening to this I will watch what I can live and just record the rest but uh yes these these west coast during the week uh weekday trips uh I hate them (laughs) so uh it's just something I gotta deal with but uh so we're gonna talk about the Sharks game we are going to talk about Gabriel Landeskog and this run that he is on uh we are also going to Talk a little bit more, not so much about Nikita Zadorov and his benching, but what that means for other players, namely Bowen Byram, for next season. We'll get into all of that, and but before we do, first things first, we will cover how to follow the show on the social media platforms. Follow on Twitter, L-O-P-N underscore Avalanche. Follow on Instagram. Search for Locked on Avalanche and send all of your questions, comments, concerns, opinions. If you want to be on the Fandom Friday segment, anything you want, send that over to LockedOnAvalanche at gmail.com or get a hold of me through any of those social media outlets. So, yeah, three stars of the week came out today. Actually, yesterday. I'm sorry. And for this is for the NHL. This is not what my three stars of last week, which are much more prestigious than what the NHL official league gives out, clearly. But they were kind of close to, uh, maybe they just took a cue from me, which is not surprising. And as I had given Landeskog the number one star of last week, the NHL went and gave him the second star of last week. So congratulations to the captain. Very well deserved. Some might argue he should have been the number one star. If you're looking at stats, uh, he had nine points total for the week. That was on three goals and six assists. The number one star went to Mika Zabinijad, and that's well-deserved. Most of that was his five-goal explosion. Uh, And then, you know, a couple more goals tacked on top of that. So he had seven points in three games. Landis Gog with nine points in four games. Uh, To round it out, Leon Dreisaitl just continues to be awesome. 
eight points for him in four games. So I, I'm not going to argue. I think that's I think that's a good order of things. I think Zabinijad with that five point uh, five goal game, you kind of have to give him the number one star. But like I said in in yesterday's show, uh, Gabriel Landeskog just continues to ride a wave, and I think if if nobody else is happy about this, I think the one who has to be happy about it most has got to be Nathan McKinnon. Someone is finally matching him. And maybe even exceeding him over the past couple of weeks, but that—that's I think he's completely fine with that. Uh, what Landis Gog is doing, he's currently on I think it's a eight game point streak. And again, this is before the Kings game, which so I I don't have the updated stats on that. One, two, three, four, five, six. So yeah, eight game point streak for him. The last three games from March fourth to March eighth, three points, two points, three points. A goal in each of those games. So he's not only writing a three-game, or he is writing a three-game goal streak. He's just been he's just been in that added piece that is needed. Everybody wants to say, everybody brings up this uh this this graphic about the difference in in who's number one scoring on a team compared to number two and the discrepancy between Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr, which I I think it's still McCarr. I know Landis Gog is creeping up on that. What's he have for the season? 42 points. And I, uh, McCarr has, I think McCarr is a little bit more than that. But everybody wants to really like drill home the, the discrepancy in that. And it is a discrepancy, but I never hear it followed up by the injuries. And that's very real. If, if Landis Gog has played a full season, healthy if Rantanen has played his full season healthy there wouldn't be that discrepancy but it is it is what it is and and you just have to roll with it but not, that doesn't really matter what matters is what he in particular is doing right now and since i have the the current run that he's on since let's see he had a three game streak Right at, as the calendar turned, January 4th, January 6th, January 7th, at New Jersey Devils, at New York Islanders, at New York Rangers. So three games all within the same vicinity of each other. And he that was a three-game road trip. He didn't score a single point in any three of those games. Since then, so starting on January 10th, he has played in, or there have been 24 games that he has played in, and he has a point in 18 of those games. So that's six games out of 24 that he has failed to register a point. That's that's damn good, and that's what this team needed. They, it, it's very tough to rely, although he's a superstar, it's very tough to rely on your superstar, no matter who that is, for the course of an entire season. And that's what the Avalanche have been doing. They've been leaning heavily on their superstar, Nick McKinnon. He's been responding, but did it get to him a little bit? You know, we, we talked about it on the show that he had a, a little scoring drought in terms of a goal scoring drought. But he seems to be turning it around too. Is is it coinciding with you know people now needing to take a look at Gabriel Landeskog? 
and kind of know where he is. Landis Cog doesn't have the skill Nathan McKinnon has. Nobody has the skill Nathan McKinnon has. Very few do. But Landis Cog does your dirty work. He he's he's a powerful skater, and he will camp right in front of that net, and he'll clean up and. He reaped the benefits of a uh, incredible Nathan McKinnon move in that uh, Sharks game, which we'll talk about in the next segment. But he's he he is now another really another weapon that teams can't just sit and and put all of the emphasis on Nathan McKinnon. You have to put some emphasis on Nathan McKinnon and go ahead and do that because now. Gabriel Landeskog can can beat you as well, and as, as well as all those other guys that they have that are you know having career years, but on that line, that line, without Miko Rantanen, that top line against the Sharks game was the most dominant game that the the first line that the Avalanche have had in quite a while. I can't even remember the last time they were that dominant, but and and again we keep saying it. They're not fully loaded yet. <laughs> Just wait till they get Miko back, which we haven't heard anything. The news seems to be dying down on uh, the current batch of players who are injured. We heard at the beginning of the season, middle of March, so maybe they threw that out there and said, you know, that's all we're going to give you until further notice. We're coming up on the Ides of March, so let's hope we get some of these guys back. But, yeah, uh, I, you know, Nate... Nathan McKinnon is probably giving hugs and kisses to Gabriel Landeskog for really stepping up. He plays on his line, and and he's been he, he's that C on his jersey, which we all know he is deserving of. Uh, the, this last chunk of games is is why he is wearing that. So, like I said, uh, we we are. The game behind because of the way the NHL schedules games. I get it, but just, you know, when you're on the East Coast, it kind of stinks when they play these games this late. So we'll talk about the Sharks game. Overall, very good game for the Colorado Avalanche. I thought they skated really well. This was the first meeting in San Jose since that game seven in the playoffs last year. I saw a lot of the media who uh, work for the Avalanche or work for newspapers or websites covering the Avalanche. I saw many of them taking pictures and posting them to social media of the blue line (laughs) that doomed us last year. The infamous offsides of Gabriel Landeskog as he's going to the bench, which... I know a lot of people still are not over. I think for the simple fact that it led to a goal. That that is just what twists the knife. But that's in the past. This was the first game back since then. This was also Jonas Donskoy's first game back in Jose since in San Jose since leaving them. And what did he do? He got the game-winning goal. And the uh, the Avs Twitter psychic that is always on uh, Twitter on game days for the Avalanche podcast that runs that hashtag. A lot of people were putting up Don Scoy, understandably so. People always do that, thinking a player who's returning to his old team is going to light them up and score the first goal. I think if you asked a player would they rather have the first goal or the game-winning goal, I would almost guarantee you they would all say I'd rather have the game-winning goal. 
And that's exactly what he did. Uh, I'm sure it was an emotional time, but you know, it, it was a really nice pass from, from, I want to say TJ Comfer, because if you watched the game, that's the announcers who were Sharks announcers and they were given the, and they, this happens from time to time. It's happened to the Avalanche too, where the home team and the game is played on national television. The home team's announcers are the national television audience announcers. So should they know the players' names? Yeah. And they kept saying TJ Comfer. I think they corrected it. I don't know if because somebody told them or they just were not understanding what they were saying, but I think I've done that sometimes too. So I'm not going to completely fault them, but I mean, they're the professionals. I'm not, I'm maybe a semi-professional, but I would at least attempt to get the name wrong. If it's one of those crazy Russian names or, uh, you know, that, that are very difficult to pronounce anyway, then, you know, you can get a pass, but, uh, to, not know JT compared to TJ. Shame on you, Sharks announcers. But uh, yeah, Nathan McKinnon was kind of back in action here. And that goal that he scored on the power play, I said on Twitter, you could see that thing materializing from the time that puck scooted out. It was kind of like traffic in front of the net. And it kind of just bounced out to Landeskog. And as soon as that happened, that puck is going to Landeskog, kind of in between the dots. You saw it, the whole play opening up. And you knew he was going to pass it off to to McKinnon on the left side, and he was going to one-time it. That's exactly what happened. So uh, a solid goal by him. And the move later on for the second goal that McKinnon made Kind of had a, a one-on-one, and Landis Gog was trailing him. And McKinnon made an incredible move to to get the puck. I mean, he was shooting for the goal, obviously, but it was a really nice save. But there was too much of a rebound, and Landis Gog just had a wide-open net. It was one of those things where it's like Nathan McKinnon did all the work on the homework, and Landis Gog reaped the benefits come test time. So uh, it was, it was just a, a great move, and, and I think, I think McKinnon getting that goal early kind of set the tone for him, and he, you could tell he was really feeling it. So Francois gave up the breakaway goal by Carlson. Is it just me, or does it seem like he gets beat five hole often? I think that if there's one kink in his armor, it could be that. Could be wrong on that, but and this is just me watching like any other fan. But I feel like he does get beat five hole often. He makes really good saves with his glove, good stick saves. Uh, he he's got to cut down on the rebounds. That that's one another thing that is is kind of a fault of his. He allows not only rebounds but very long rebounds. Um, and the five hole. So if you agree with that, let me know. I, I, I'm just, I haven't seen any stats on it, but uh, just, like I said, just from watching, seems like that's uh, something he's tightened up a little bit. The Metznikov goal was just really good passing. I don't know how Landis Scott got him that, that puck in front of the net, and he kind of made like a little spin move for the goal. And then the, the Donskoy goal, 
to give them the game winner. They did kind of make it interesting. The Sharks scored, I think, with like 50 seconds left to cut it to four to three. And, you know, they, they I don't think they really had – they kept the, the puck in the zone for the remainder of the game. But that Avalanche defense has been been something else lately. And they kind of stepped up when they had to. The, the the goal that they gave up in the last minute that was ugly. I mean, it was terrible gap control. Uh, Graves was kind of just in in no man's land. Oh, oh, just an easy easy shot for who I can't remember who it was that scored, but uh, it, it I don't know if the Az were just kind of being a little lax, but it seemed like it. Um, and. You know, I think they just want to make things difficult for themselves, <laughs> because then they tighten things up, and the Sharks really didn't didn't have a chance. So, all in all, a uh, really good game. I want to play a clip from uh, Jonas Donskoy, which we'll do right here, just for his uh, post game press conference and what was obviously a, an emotional game for him. And then we will talk about Nikita Zadorov and what that could mean for other players. Not even playing playing for the team right now. Uh, it was weird. First time in my career playing, you know, against the old team. I've, I've never had that experience before, so it was for sure some extra nervousness, I'd say maybe, and uh, you know, a lot of familiar faces on the eyes against against us tonight. So it was it was it was a new experience for me, and and. Uh, it was it was fun to see. There was a lot of still a lot of my signs, you know, from the fans. So it was good to see. And uh, yeah, it was it was a special night. Talk to us about the game a little bit. Probably a little closer than you guys would have liked. Was there some, some things that you guys would like to address before tomorrow's game against the Kings? Yeah, I think for some reason we didn't. I feel like we didn't get the offensive game rolling as much as we wanted to. Um, we didn't get like multiple shifts in a row in there and and kind of. Kind of that's what we need to to get it rolling. So I feel like we didn't we didn't really get that tonight. But um, you know we'll, we're gonna look some more videos tomorrow and, and uh, figure it out and, and try to be better tomorrow. All right. So yeah, Jonas Danskoy obviously feeling really good for getting a game winner against his former team. Got to be nice to twist the knife a little bit more against uh, when you're going up against your old team. So uh, Jared Bednar actually made some comments after the game. Um, I was going to play that, but I figured I would just discuss it before we get to the Zadorov thing. He did talk about it. But one thing that he did uh, uh, answer was a question of, you know, you, you are now have an opportunity with a win in uh, Los Angeles against the Kings to be in first place. To take over first place. So let's see the Blues, and as I'm recording this, the Blues are losing to the Panthers, two to one, and that game is 11 minutes from being over. So maybe I'll update that in a few minutes at the end of this show, just to see where we're at with that. But he was asked, knowing you could have an opportunity to be in first place, do you play players a little bit more and maybe press a little bit more? And you know that that's something that you don't really think of all the time you just think of we're going to get the victory and if we play our game we'll get the victory but do you press and and play someone an extra shift every once in a while might not be the best thing to do but he kind of laughed at the uh the question in a good way he wasn't like a mocking laugh and said well you know we just basically want to win them all but uh we'll see what happens because seeding is going to be important now the avalanche with the win over san jose gives them 90 points 
on the season. They had 90 points all of last season, which obviously led to a wild card berth. 14 games left in the season, and they've already matched where they're at last year. So, again, every year that they've been under Jared Bednar, they have improved from everything, from their their points in the standings to what they've done in the playoffs. Everything is trending that way for it to happen again, but anything can happen. One thing that we will watch is how much a part will Nikita Zadorov be a part of that possible improvement from last year. We talked he was not in the 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 lineup for the Kings. And again, I am recording this right before puck drop, right before puck drop. But they released the lines. He was not in them again. So he will not play. What does this mean for other players? And there's so much to wrap your head around. And and one thing is that Ian Cole got benched as well. But I think... Ian Cole is not as much in the doghouse. Ian Cole came right back the next game, which was against San Jose, and played and played fine. Sometimes a guy just needs a day off. They have a bad day. You got to rest him. It's different for Zadorov. It seems like they expect more than what he is giving, so they are benching him. So what does that mean for someone like Bowen Byram, who next year... We don't know what's going to happen with him. We don't even know what's going to happen with, with Zadorov. He could turn things around. He could, some, uh, 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 a switch could flip for him, and he could be a, a huge part of this team going forward. The way that it looks doesn't seem that way. I just want to leave that 1% open of anything happening. So what if it doesn't? Is this all you are going to hear if the Avs don't move forward with Zadorov is, is this leaving the door open for Byram? And I think that's putting too much pressure on a kid uh, that age, which it's been done with other players. I understand that. Is he ready for it? I think if, if, if the abs were in a crunch and they really had nobody else to fill that role, I think he could step in, do it and do it admirably. But the avalanche have other players to fill that role right now and they they have you you know Connor Timmons was someone they were not going to give up at the trade deadline so he could fill that role easily they've brought up and who's replacing Zadorov right now is Kevin Connaughton he is replacing him as we speak so I, I I don't think the pressure will be on Byram but will Byram if if he's you know a player that sees blood in the water Will he see that as his opening? You better believe he should. And they gave him a chance in the preseason. And, you know, it, he it was an adjustment period for him. He didn't do so well, almost to be expected. So you send him where the, in the WHL, and he's doing very well. Everything is playing out the way it should. But do you jump the gun just because if, if, you, if you move on from Zadorov, and this is just forward-thinking, assuming Zadorov is not going to be with them. Do you then turn the keys over to Bone Byram that quickly? I don't think the Avalanche do. I've said this so many times. The Avalanche are a patient franchise, and they, are, they have yet to force 
the NHL upon a player who's not ready. See Martin Kaut. And I don't anticipate they would do it with with Byram if they were to move on from Zadorov. They have too many options ahead of Byram. Byram will be that guy. Maybe in another year. I just don't see it happening that quickly. They just have they have too many assets. So why rush it? Kid's 19 years old. No no reason to. So that's that. Uh, we'll see how long they keep Zadorov out. I know he's working with them. He's working with the conditioning team. He's, he's just, he's, he's working on his game and he's working on what this team wants from him. So we got another game in two days, like the rest of the year. We'll see what happens then. We'll see what happens with injuries. Let's get some guys back. Let's go on another run. Let's take over first place. Uh, let me update everybody. It, not, you really don't need an update because by the time you're listening to this, the game's over. But for my own well-being, still 2-1. to one, Panthers lead with nine minutes to go in the third. Go Florida. So that's it for today, guys. We will see you tomorrow where we will be discussing the Kings and Avalanche game, which puck drop is in about ten minutes. So I'm going to go watch maybe three minutes of that game and then fall asleep. See you guys tomorrow. Here's Joby. Go, Abs, go. Go.